I'm Nick Abrahams, and welcome to Web3, From Mystery to Main Street, the podcast where we talk about how technologies like crypto, DeFi, NFTs, and the metaverse are being successfully embraced by mainstream businesses. Joining me today is Guy Dickinson, the founder and CEO of Beta Carbon, and I love the tagline for this company, more tokens, less carbon. Guy, welcome to the show. Thanks very much for having me, Nick. So you've been on quite the journey. I mean, a career banker and now sitting atop one of the hottest crypto plays. Uh, so what is Beta Carbon exactly? What's your What's been your journey, actually, to get to Beta Carbon? Yeah, I think Beta Carbon is probably, it is a crystallisation of the skills that I've learned as a banker. Um, around markets and, and incumbency, what is good in financial markets, what is bad in financial markets. And it's also the, the power of, of blockchain and, and what it can do when you put those two things together. I think, you know, we've all seen recently a lot of, um, you know, a lot of friction, a lot of volatility in the space. Um, the narrative gets very lazy when people lose money. Um, and I think what's really incumbent on, companies like Beta Carbon is to keep delivering value to both consumers, merchants, investors um, across the value chain. And I think that's what that's what Beta Carbon is. Um, we're doing it in a space which uh, has a mission to increase the take-up of carbon units in, in part of the investor climate, but also to provide a much better choice solution, transparency um, to, to the sustainable merchants and vendors out there across the country, um, but, you know, more ambitiously globally as well because there's a lot of countries that really haven't stepped into this journey yet. Yeah, yeah. Is it, just, you know, you mentioned that idea of, you know, what you saw as good and bad as a, as a banker and so forth. And what, what you're doing with Beta Carbon is, is tokenizing, I guess, you know, a, a non-blockchain asset or an off-chain asset has it surprised you? You know, we've we've had blockchain for you know thirteen or so years since yeah since since Bitcoin sort of first arrived, and it's really been a bit of a sort of solution looking for a problem. And the idea of tokenizing assets or off chain assets hasn't really taken off. Did did that sort of surprise you? Are you you know what, what do you think is the the issue around the lack of tokenization of off chain assets? Well, you know, it, it's interesting, isn't it? Going on this journey as we start to talk about that exact fact around tokenizing everything. Well, let's just step back and go, does everything need to be tokenized? Um, and my answer to that is no. And we've seen a lot of projects out there which are tokenizing assets which are available to anyone anyway. Um, what's the point of tokenizing a listed share? Zero, really, you know, unless you want to put it in some fancy dashboard and call it a different code. Um, so when we look at this asset class, we sort of stepped back for that and said, well, we have an intrinsic issue around access. We have an intrinsic issue around um, the variability of people being able to get in, the transparency of the market, the value proposition to the people who use this asset class, and actually, who is this asset class relevant to? And when we step back from that, we had 55-odd people trading these actively amongst one another. When frankly, there's 26 million people that are affected by pollution. So why shouldn't we have a call to action? So that's when I, you gel up the need, that use case, that's carbon markets, and you gel up how do we get it to people? Well, that's blockchain. Brilliant, brilliant. Because I, I must say, over the years, you know, I've I've had clients trying to tokenize a bunch of different assets. You know, whether it's property or cows or whatever, 
And I guess the question always comes down to what is the utility, the additional utility that you get from the blockchain? And so, mm-hmm. so that's brilliant. You've, you've hit the nail on the head there for me, which is, you know, if there's only 55 organisations trading carbon credits, uh, there's, there's clearly an access to market issue. So, so maybe, so what does beta carbon, what beta carbon do? What's the, yeah, um, proposition? It's a good question. And because I've been living it day to day, I often, Go, go to the end game very quickly. Look, what Beta Carbon does, uh, we take a carbon credit that is issued by the Clean Energy Regulator that then sits in uh, in a registry called the Australian National Registry of Emissions Units, which is administered by the government through the Clean Energy Regulator. And it's a closed loop. So a carbon credit can't ever really leave there. Um, so that's a really important factor that makes tokenizing this asset class really clean because the thing is being held in a government registry. That's a really important point. Now, what we do is we take that ton um, and then we notionally back the token by that ton. So when we mint a token, that ton of carbon that sits in the registry moves into a new legal ownership structure, whereby the token holders know that the backing asset, which is notionally backing, which means the token is backed by a thing, but the token holder will never really be able to come and get the carbon because it's now held in escrow um, in the in the custodian, which is called carbon swap. We then mint 1,000 tokens. So we have one ton, i.e. 1,000 kilograms. We mint 1,000 tokens, which each represent one kilogram of captured carbon that is removed from the general supply of the market. Now, what do I mean by that, the general supply of the market? Um, if someone wanted to buy that carbon credit, they would need to buy the token to have some sort of some form of participation in the carbon credit which beta carbon has purchased and put into escrow so it's really creating an alternate market for these units by drawing the units out of the institutional market putting them into the beta carbon marketplace and allowing people to interact with the beta carbon marketplace beta carbon will interact with the institutional market on behalf of the token holders it's um i'm fascinating the just to sort of back it up so we can try to understand sort of this this carbon credit market because i think you know in, in one sense we sort of we see it you know as a as sort of a member of the general public you know when you when you're going through and booking an airline and it's like would you like to offset this so so is that is that why organizations are buying carbon credits because you know there doesn't seem to be a mandate for government obviously we're we're trying to head to emissions reduction targets and so forth. So is is buying carbon credits for a big organisation, I assume that people, the organisations that buy it, large potentially organisations that produce a lot of carbon. So they're buying the carbon credits, are they, to offset the carbon that they are producing? Yeah, so I might even step back one layer and say, what is a carbon credit? Um, yeah, great, that'd be good. So often, you know, we... We assume that everyone knows this, but not, you know, ninety-five percent of people didn't even know this is an asset class, <laughs> um, which is really that's a bit of a travesty. And we yeah. fix that. So <laughs> we step back. What is a carbon credit? So there's two types of carbon credits, if you will. One of them is an emissions allowance, which is when the government issues a certificate to pollute without there being any carbon sequestered through a project. That's kind of like the EU scheme where people, companies are forced into that mechanism. Right. It's got a lot of influence and it creates a reduction in emissions. And then the Australian carbon credit is issued off the back of a project, um, you know, 40-odd methodologies that exist to create a carbon credit. 
there's over 1,100 projects that operate at the moment across um, from a technology basis, landfill gas, new methods like carbon capture and storage, human-induced regeneration, reforestation, avoided forestation, um, Indigenous co-benefit credits from savannah burning, which stops big bushfires. It's an amazing process. Actually, if you can ever watch a video on, on how the traditional owners do do their back burning, it's pretty inspiring. Um, and so that is what a carbon credit is as opposed to an allowance. It's actually captured carbon. It's done the work. Now, that's where you can stand behind that as a brand and say, okay, I want to align myself with a certain type of project. And what we've found is the vast majority of liquidity is trading in anything that is nature-based or has co-benefits. It's trading at an extreme premium to the, the standard baseline ACU, which is trading today around $29.50. Right. You then have other units like the human-induced regeneration, which is nature-based, you know, growing local vegetation. Um, that's trading, you know, probably at somewhere between a $2 or $3 premium, depending on, on what time of day it is. And then a co-benefit credit with an Aboriginal co-benefit or an Indigenous um, kind of uh, line to it could be trading anywhere 25 to, to 40% higher than the baseline ACU price. So when you see an ACU price, there's actually many, many different prices and actually most of them where the liquidity is trading today are not trading whether you see that price. It is actually much higher. So the portfolio that Beta Carbon holds is a portfolio aligned to a more nature-based portfolio. Therefore, it trades at a premium to the price that you'll see in the ACU market because ultimately we're trying to serve corporates and give them access to carbon units, which they can retire to, 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 you know, to lower their emissions or their net emissions. Um, they want to be able to put their brand behind projects. They want to be able to effectively go and have a picnic there. Um, which is where we've got this really interesting, and I'm digressing a bit, but it's a good time to do it. Um, you know, if we go through the Climate Active Labels, which is a, a government-approved accreditation of carbon neutrality, could be for your office, it could be for your whole operations, it's kind of choose your own adventure. Most people choose the first adventure, which is the cheapest, and they'll, they'll offset their office. Right. Um, they tend to, uh, there is definitely an influence by the, the people who are doing the measuring to push them into voluntary carbon markets, which are out of India and China, which trade at a much lower price point. And frankly, it's very hard for any brand to stand behind, you know, a, a Chinese hydropower station. It's not a great brand accretive sort of project. That's where we know that there's going to be a natural affinity to start using more carbon projects in Australia. And perhaps the concept of being carbon neutral is less important to being carbon active in Australia. You know, if you pollute in Australia, you should probably clean up in Australia. Um, how is this any different to the, the, the rubbish wars we had? And we're sending all our recycling to China and Malaysia. And they eventually said, stop. Yep. This is no different. It's just, it's a different form of, it's a different spectrum of light. You can't see it. But this is no different to picking up plastic on the beach and someone paying you 35 bucks to pour it back out on the beach. Right. And and so, you know, you mentioned that there's 55 active traders in the carbon credit. When we started. Yeah. yeah. And but so who are those folks? Are they are they big organisations wanting to do the sorts of, you know, um, project based um, uh, 
activities or are they speculators what's the what's the sort of yeah it, it'd be the, the types of guys you'd expect to try uh, to, to play at a institutional grade level um so enterprise so from okay. a corporate perspective it'll be your airlines it'll be your, your miners it'll be your coal miners it'll be it'll generally be the bigger names that we understand are the bigger polluters and they have a plan right they 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 do participate in this market in case the regulatory landscape changes they'll have hedging programs so you're talking about people with really big capital and deep pockets. Um, then you'll have brokers and you'll have intermediaries which which trade um, and, and offer services to those to those bigger institutional groups. And below that, a lot of the the trading will be by the project proponents, the green collars, the South Poles, the 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 big the big farming operations who actually own credits. And so today, to just give you a sense of the 11, 11 to 12 million credits that are delivered and available, um, <coughs> close to 45, 50% of those, and this is all CER data, are actually held by the project proponents, i.e. the person, the primary producer. Right. Um, then you've got enterprise kind of level holdings, and then you've got another 25, 30% represents the uh, the facilitating part of the market, i.e. the beta carbons or the or the jardins who are, who are facilitating that trade. And I think what's interesting is, without really having launched our project on a digital basis yet, we've got about a three percent market share. So it shows you how small this market is. Wow. So we're talking about getting in at the early stage of the picks and shovels opportunity. Yep. This is kind of this is to me, frankly, and I align this to other conversations like Bitcoin in 2011. This right. is kind of this is really early, and and it's very similar in terms of that understanding. People go, well, what? Yeah, but even 2015, I've heard of it, Bitcoin, but I didn't really get into it. Yep. it takes time. But what we're finding is we have the amount of pledges. Everyone's measuring. You can really only measure for 12 months. After after you measure for 12 months, you have to start acting. Um, and I think what's really exciting is we know that brands want to align to Australian projects. Yep. Um, and we, you know, I think what we really want to offer is the best range of projects so those corporates can align their brands to something they want to stand behind. Yep. Yep. Let's say in discussions with um, organizations that have committed to reductions targets and so forth, there's a lot of concern because obviously you know, on my side of, of the table, which is sort of more legal and compliance. It's like, um, how does the organisation actually confirm that it is on track to hit those sorts of numbers and, you know, what you've said to the market? And so, so it seems like this as a, you know, as an overall market has, has a tremendous inertia to it, as in positive inertia that will, will push it into being a much bigger market over the next couple of years. Yeah, and we've, we've undergone a lot of um, reviews with Andrew McIntosh, you know, Angus Taylor's move from the fixed to floating contracts in March. Um, There's a story only last night on that in the ABC, you know, and it's it's old news, frankly. Um, I think what's really important here is we're opening the kimono, you know, just as much as I've opened the nightclub to anyone who wants to participate in the asset class, 55 is gone. Now it could be five and a half million if we want it to be. That's really what we're talking about here. So with that comes transparency, price transparency, understanding of the provenance of projects, should we be operating a project where there's zero rainfall and the tree would never exist? These are good questions to ask. Right. Um, what I would say to you is if we have a defined forward view of supply based on what the government has contracted to buy through those fixed contracts and we do a review on a whole lot of that forward-looking 
um, uh, deliveries in ACUs and the review says, mm, maybe we're a bit generous, we should provide less units in the future, you don't have to be a genius to understand what happens to price in that situation. It is price today for the amount of supply that they can see on the market. They're definitely not going to come in and say, we're going to give you more. What they'll probably say is we need to be a bit more stringent about how we issue ACUs in the future. So for me, what is already a very constrained supply is going to be more constrained, which is actually music to my ears because it's twofold. We have a government which is moving into a mechanism around safeguard compliance, you know, working out your baseline and saying you need to do better every year, 5%. Um, these are really important steps. This is the nascent stage of Australia's version of an ETF, uh, sorry, of an ETS, an exchange. Yeah. You know, and I think when we sort of sit back on that, we're going to incentivize more projects. They're the projects where co companies want to do more work, which is around nature. Technology will respond when price is there to respond. We've seen technology unable to respond to the current price around any voluntary work. So if we a voluntary credit trades probably best case 20, 20 bucks on a really good day. Right. Um, that's not going to inspire new people to come in and come new forms of technology. Those things trade at $1,000, $700 a tonne. That's where companies are being coalition of the willing. And that's what Australia's market represents. It represents a, a, a quite a woke uh, community of people who know that we actually just have to lift the, lift the pen on this ourselves. We have to do the work ourselves. And they're voluntarily stepping into the space, which is really, really exciting when you overlay that with um, governments who have quite ambitious nationally defined commitments around 2030 and try and put it into legislation. So I can see a lot of positives out of the recent um, reviews that we're doing. Uh, and I, I'm really excited to, to launch the business into, into that transparency. Yeah. And who is the who's the target market for beta carbon? Who, who who's going who's buying? <laughs> As you know, Nick, on any any startup joint journey, um, you can always in your head find a target market, but you have to do the research. Um, yeah. And we've done that research, so it's clear to us that we have probably ninety eight percent of the corporate environment. I mean, non enterprise. You know, okay. they have no idea how to access these things. Yep. We have a program where companies just will not sell them less than a thousand accus. That's a fifty thousand dollar ticket. But to put that or forty thousand dollar ticket to put that in perspective, right? Um, these are not small margins, not small amounts. Um, yep. So the target market is is definitely corporates who want to offset. Right. Um, it is investors who want to participate in the asset class. And we have two products for that. It's not the same product. We have this we have this digital token, which represents your ownership of a carbon credit, i.e. It's your, it's your representation of market movements. It's a way to hedge your future carbon liabilities, et cetera, et cetera, if you're a company. If you're an individual who wants a call to action, you, you like the idea of putting your money to work by buying carbon credits because you have a view that there's going to be a tenfold increase in the amount of companies that are going to use ACUs to offset themselves, yep. partly because the government forces them to or it's voluntary, then you can say, that's an asset class I want to be part of. It's a very early stage. Um, and then it's also it's also the, the idea around um, how do you integrate merchant and consumer propositions? We are here to put this asset class to people on the street. Right. This is about creating mechanisms which make sense for you as the consumer 
that roll up at an entity level for the person who's selling you that product. It's providing value to both of you. Today, all you get is you get asked by an airline, please give us $12 to offset your flight. Thanks very much. And you get a firework on the screen. You get nothing for it. That's, yeah. that's not a value proposition. That's that's a swindle in my view. And I think I, I think those days are gone, frankly, because there was an, an online retailers um, conference last week and out of the eight main themes, the highest, most spoken about theme was sustainability. Right. Um, there's only so many ways you can do it. You can reduce, you can get in there and try and create some new green product which has some supply chains, which, which is all good stuff. At the end of the day, there's only so much you can do without trying to step into the offsetting space. Yeah. I mean, does that mean, uh, you know, as we go through and do our airline sort of tick the box exercise and and there's that sort of slightly sort of awkward, shameful moment where you're asked if you would like to offset. Um, so is there, is there a world where, you know, that would be rather than, you know, we just pay additional money and we're not really sure why we are doing that, but where, where we could actually be paying that money and we would get the asset, so so that would be a, a you know beta carbon token yeah. or something like that. Yeah, so this, it's a tricky one here, Nick. So I think what we're talking about here are two di- two two different things, right? It's yeah. saying what do I need to do as a company? Yep. What could I do as an individual? Yes. Now, companies have a profit motive behind everything they do. It's no different with sustainability. They they're trying to move into sustainability to sell you more stuff. That's generally how it's going to work. Right. Um, the person who is in that institution, cares about sustainability to their core, no doubt. However, the institution is there to make money. It's a commercial yep. operation. Yep. Um, if we step if we step into that and we think about what does Nick need out of this as an individual, well, I would say, Nick, you'll probably click on that button once and feel quite flat afterwards. You know, the firework on the screen didn't do much for you. Right. I would say to you, let's say in theory you went and bought $12 worth of beta carbon. Yep. And the price of carbon is $32 today. Yep. And it goes to $50. You've now effectively made probably close to 60% of your money to start right. with. And you've taken that carbon credit out of supply for a period of time. Now, if you sell it back into the beta carbon world, it's still in the beta carbon world. Someone else has taken that off you. So effectively, you're taking your bag of rubbish which you collected on the beach and you're giving it to someone else who wants to hold it for a period of time. Um, now, that's for you as an individual. It's not an offset, but it is a call to action. It is driving the price of carbon up, which will incentivize how big corporates emit. Right. We are not going to solve this through emission, uh, through um, offsetting. We can only solve it by influence and emissions. And that's what beta carbon's here to do. So while we look like we are playing an offset space, our mission is emissions, frankly. Right. And that's, right. that's what people realize when they look through into our data streams and what we're trying to achieve it's influence we are trying to create influence so that you can have a say as opposed to just going to an election every three or four years and booting out the incumbents because they didn't do enough about the environment you can do something every day and not necessarily not you don't need to say you're offsetting you might want to do that and there'll be avenues for that as well yeah that's not what the beta carbon token is but we also we are fully licensed to offset on behalf of wholesale and corporates Right, right. So, so, and uh, to try to summarise that, I guess is the the mission is is ultimately to drive up the price of carbon, so that then it's, yeah, I, I don't like the words drive up. It's okay. to create a demand vehicle which warrants who it affects. Now, if there's only twelve million credits in Australia, and right. we 
you know, we at today uh, we think about um, municipal council. I looked up this morning; it has six thousand tons. You know, that's one little area that's doing its little bit. You know, they're trying to do the right thing, but yep. those six thousand tons actually were spent on a Indian wind farm and a, a Chinese hydro plant. All right, probably paid two or three dollars a ton. Doesn't right. mean that much. You have you really haven't you really haven't sort of taken responsibility for what you're doing right here. Um, so I think I probably digressed a bit there, but I think <laughs> no, what's, no. Really, what's really important is that we need to get accus into the hands of corporates because they actually do want to sit behind. They want to go and have a picnic at the project. Yeah. They want to know where it is. They want to see where it is. They want to see that it's, a, it's an Australian project and it's got some sort of co-benefit. And this is a brand play at the end of the day. It'd be very nice if... We all had an infinite amount of money to create the technology to do all these things, but frankly, we need to get it there. So it's not about driving up the price. It's about driving the demand. Price will do what it does. I see. No, very good. And I think, so you made um, great headlines recently when the Victor Smorgan Group purchased some of your tokens actually using an ANZ stablecoin, um, which, you know, is is sort of groundbreaking on two fronts, I guess, obviously, you know, the the Victor Sporting Group made a significant purchase uh, of the beta carbon tokens, but also that ANZ has shown uh, a willingness. This is its second significant stablecoin mm-hmm. transaction. Can you just talk us, um, I appreciate there's a lot of complexity to the transaction, but can you just talk us a little bit through how that transaction worked? Yeah, look, we can definitely simplify the complexity and that's our job, isn't it? So um, if you, if we, I'll just talk to the stable token of ANZs first. So they, yeah. they will... You know, if they were paying X amount for the for the for the tokens that the Smorgan family bought, um, they would put that that those real Aussie dollars into a trust, which is held on behalf of the issuance of the token. So very similar to the to the structure. Um, the, the difference would be which entity is holding the backing, right? So that's that's the main difference here. So ANZ as a bank obviously has guaranteed deposits. So you know that that sits really nicely in terms of anyone accepting their stable token. Um, and I know I've known Nigel Dobson for a long time. Yep. Um, we used to work together at NatWest when my hair was a colour more desirable than it is today. <laughs> um, and he reached out to me after we, you know, I quite like, you know, commenting on LinkedIn and we sort of reconnected after a while because I lived away for 20 years. Right. Um, and <laughs> that was a that was a conversation which went pretty quickly, if I'm honest. Um, they wanted to definitely show more use cases around tokenization yep. and, and the use of blockchain and it's all about the rails it's a, it is about use case um and it made perfect sense to for them to loop in the smorgan family who's a trusted client of ANZ for a long time yep. um and we also had zero cap sitting in between um because they've actually listed our token so if people want to buy beta carbon outside our exchange they can do it and they'll come to us with pricing yeah. Um, so, you know, it was it, in simple terms, what we've done is we've effectively tokenized two things, which uh, the, the, the benefits of tokenizing the Aussie dollar are uh, instant settlement. Yep. There's no, don't have to wait to, and I guess you have that through national payments platform as well, but it's domestic. So you could send that token offshore if you wanted. You could send it off to um, America. You could send it off to anywhere else that would legally allow it to be uh, a destination. Um, and it's the same thing with the beta carbon token. So while it is primarily focused on Australian corporates, um, the token itself could be purchased by 
someone outside um, the country if if so required. Um, at the end of the day, they would need to bring it back to beta carbon for it to be retired. Right. Um, so for me, that's an investment vehicle. We know that we have to centrally retire those units on behalf of wholesale customers. Um, so I, I, I guess in what we're really talking about here is two real-world assets which have been put onto a um, – they've been given a new face, um, and that new face allows it to – move between borders much quicker it allows it to be settled much quicker uh, and it allows access to an asset class which didn't exist before um you know what you could have got access obviously a smorgan family something like that can always get access to asset classes yep would have taken you know upwards of six months to open an account minimum transaction of half a million dollars all the usual hurdles that come in this market which we've broken down and they didn't want to have to run through Brilliant, brilliant, and I think you've got a uh, you've got an upcoming transaction that uh, uh, I think can you uh, can you tell us about that one? Oh, you made it sound so covert. Well, um, you know, I, I just just in case I don't want to breach any. No, what I'll say is we've got a we've got a, a, a an ASX listed company who's uh, purchased some beta carbon uh, with the view to retire those units into some uh, co benefit uh, accus which have Aboriginal. Um, co-benefits to them. Um, they did that as part of Night Up Week. Okay. Um, and they're doing that to offset part of their digital asset platform, um, which is, you know, it's a really neat use case. You've got a digital asset platform which has uh, probably a negative narrative around usage of energy aligned to that asset class, um, and they're doing something about that narrative. You know, they're, t- they're taking an action. Now, Beta Carbon allows them to choose from over 30 projects to, to offset. Right. Um, and they can do that because we have an AFSL, which allows us to accept the beta carbon as a payment to um, to go into the registry on their behalf and cancel carbon um, through a second token distribution mechanism, which we don't need to get into now. But what it does, is it allows companies to hedge their future carbon liabilities as well, because one of the biggest things that stops people dipping their toes into the sustainability lake is it's all well and good that I did it this year, but what's carbon going to cost next year? And if yep. you think about the European unit, 2017, it's trading at two euro. It's now 80 euro. You know, if you think about that, once you sign up for this stuff, it's very hard to pull away. But there's definitely value in dipping your toe in the lake. You don't need, for me, you don't need to be carbon neutral today. You need to be on a path and you need to stick to that path. And we allow you to stick to that path by hedging your future carbon liabilities, which is a product which simply doesn't exist in the market today. Fantastic. And and I guess sort of just, uh, I guess, bring it to a bit of a close. With what's the future for beta carbon? I mean, do you go offshore? Do you, you know, is the Australian market big enough? How does how does the business? Yeah, look, it's, it's a really good question. We're deep in it at the moment. And um, the answer is yes, absolutely, we go offshore. Um, you know, if we think about which carbon markets we want to play in. We want to play in carbon markets which have a need. So for me, I define that carbon need based on what is the national defined commitment of that country and what does the carbon market look like today? So if I take Australia, for instance, um, I have a concept of a carbon coverage ratio. Now, sounds complex, it's not. In Australia, each person puts out about 16 tonnes. We have 25 million people. That's your baseline. Um, and we have, uh, we have you know, 12 million carbon credits available in the market at the moment. Carbon coverage ratio of Australia, 4%. Carbon coverage ratio of New Zealand, 65%, right? They've, 
their market is five times bigger than Australia. So it's actually 20 times bigger on a per capita basis than the Australian market. Shows you how far this market has to go to create the influence to get to those nationally defined commitments. We probably were never going to make 28. We've just moved it to a base of 43% by 2030. It's quite ambitious. Um, you tell me how I'm going to be 60% more efficient between now and then. My mind boggles. You know, I'm, I'm already trying to get rid of stuff. Um, and I've probably got down to 15 tonnes. Um, <laughs> so America has a 50% um, ratio. They have a 7% carbon coverage ratio. So extremely underdeveloped in terms of creating the influence to get to those nationally defined commitments. That's where beta carbon plays because we need every man, woman and child to be somehow involved in this market. Fantastic. Now, you talk about every man, woman and child. Just uh, as a final thing, I know you started this business with your son, Jewel. So... Uh, so how is it being uh, being in business with your son? How does that all work? It's like being a dad. Um, <laughs> I, I would have thought you got to. I would have thought you got to leave the dad bit. <laughs> well, no, I did, and, and and that was probably probably the hardest part. I think um, I'm quite a different person at work than I am at home. Um, it doesn't mean I don't bring my whole self, but you know, business is business, and yeah. home is home. Um, so what we did is we gave him a different reporting line. Right. Um, put him under underneath. Um, some really professional individuals who um, I was told in no uncertain terms not to take his resource. Um, <laughs> and it worked really well. You know, he took on a whole new set of skills, which I couldn't give him. He'd seen my skills. Yep. Um, and funnily enough, he started back at uni today after okay. the last, you know, he probably took nine months off. Okay. Um, back to uni today, really neat timing, nervous, excited, um, gets to go there with a part-time job, has a decent set of equity in the company, um, has a view to to that generation. If I look out in the office right now, we have three or four people who are probably two or three years older than him, so we're 20 to 23 kind of age group. Right. Um, they're a really important barometer for us. Yeah. So it's not just about um, having my son, it's about distancing myself from him at work. Um, I think the notion is quite romantic. The reality is challenging. Yeah. But it's it's like parenting, right? It's wonderful and hard all at the same time. <laughs> And I, I imagine those uh, the opportunity for the 360 review, uh, he, he gets a chance to provide feedback on you as well. Every night. <laughs> <laughs> Terrifying. Yeah, not, not every night now, only twice a week now. But, <laughs> you know, I think what's really been neat through that is, uh, he, you know, he actually, he started this company. I was still at HSBC. Okay. He, he, he got his Austrack, um he got his, his uh, approval through Austrack himself. Oh, brilliant. Um, he was probably oh, the, the youngest Austrack approved person in Australia at the time. Um, you know, as a 19-year-old, that's quite a big deal. Um, so he's shown a great deal of maturity that, frankly, I don't think I had at a 19-year-old. Yeah. Um, and that's been a pleasure to watch. Oh, it's fantastic. I mean, the whole story is is just great. The, the sort of more layers we unpack, uh, you know, the better it becomes. I mean, the family bit is sort of the icing on the cake. But if you look at, you know, what are the big challenges or the big sort of talking points, you know, at board level and so forth. So sustainability, you know, is huge. Indigenous, you know, welfare and what we're doing um, in that space. Uh, and then also, you know, what's happening in Web3, blockchain and digital assets, you know, and it seems like beta carbon is, is sort of right at the forefront of of those three particular issues coming together and, I mean, especially the sustainability and the, and the blockchain digital asset stuff. So 
fantastic business. Look forward to uh, to following the success. So, Guy, thank you very much for joining us. Thanks, Nick. It's been a pleasure. Um, hope to chat soon. Thanks for listening to Web3 from Mystery to Main Street. Nothing in this podcast is legal or financial advice. Have a great day. And remember, every organisation needs a Web3 strategy.